You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Why don't you turn in your scriptures to the book of Romans again, chapter 3, as we are picking back up. Uh, we've been going through Romans, and we kind of, we begin, and then we take a little, there's some little breaks along the way, that's okay, but we're coming back to Romans 3 today. As you're on your way there, um, we're going to be looking at verse 27, um, it's kind of where we're going to camp out today in that section, but before we get there, I've got a couple pictures to follow up with here. Uh, one is from... Kaylee Skifter, and this one is from probably a couple weeks ago now, actually. And this one, uh, Kaylee, I, I wrote my notes on because sometimes I got to write notes. What's going on here? This I don't know if you can see it well, but this is Jesus here. And I, my caption was, I think from her was, "This God turning His face away." So I'm not sure if that was maybe Jesus on the cross where God turned His face away, or or maybe thinking of Exodus where God passes by Moses. Moses can't see God's face, but then. 2 Corinthians 4, now the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Kaylee, for that picture. And then one more comes from two weeks ago, would have been from Malachi, uh, helping us remember those points of that graduation sermon, sermon, really to all of us. Who will you sing to? Who are you going to follow? And then what will be your impact? So thank you, Malachi, for that. Appreciate all the pictures you guys turn in, whether you're young or you want to be anonymous and you're older and you love to draw and you can draw out the thoughts of these passages, God can use that, and I appreciate that. So, all right, well, here we are at our text. Uh, like I said, we're going to look at verse, verses 27 through 31, but let me start back in verse 19. Since it's been a little bit of time, I think this will just help us flow into the, the but now passage of 21 and so forth. So come back to Romans 3.19, and then let's listen to God's word all the way through uh, the end of the chapter here, really. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. 
do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray once again. Father, what a privilege it is that we have the freedom this morning to come and gather together and sing songs of praise to you and to listen to your word. Lord, we recognize it's a freedom we have in this country. And yet even broader, Lord, it's a freedom given by Christ that we can worship you. In our sins, we are enslaved to them. But by your spirit, by your gracious gift work in us, we are made free to worship you. By your grace. By your gift. For your glory. Lord, I pray that your grace and glory in this gift of faith even, Lord, would shine bright through the text of today and that our only boast would be in the Lord our God. So guide our time by your Spirit. May we hear what you want us to hear from your Holy Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Francis Turretin, I don't know if that's a familiar name to you, but he's a Reformed theologian coming out of the 1600s. And he's quoted in an introduction in this book called Faith Alone by Tom uh, Schreiner. And Schreiner's arguing for that one of the solas coming out of the Reformation was sola fide, uh, faith alone. One of those. There's grace alone, Christ alone, and so forth. I want you to listen to Turretin's words from some, I think it's over 300 years ago, that he writes in this book. Listen to what Turretin says, and there's a couple words I'll need to explain here along the way, but otherwise I think we can understand. He says this, But when we rise to the heavenly tribunal and place before our eyes that supreme judge, by whose brightness the stars are darkened, at whose strength the mountains melt, by whose anger the earth is shaken, whose justice not even the angels are equal to bear, who does not make the guilty innocent, whose vengeance, when once kindled, penetrates even the lowest depths of hell, then in an instant the vain confidence of men perishes and falls, and conscience is compelled to confess that it has nothing upon which it can rely before God. And so it cries out with David, Lord, if thou marked iniquity, who can stand? When the mind is thoroughly terrified with the consciousness of sin and a sense of God's wrath, what is that thing on account of which he may be acquitted before God and be reckoned a righteous person? Is it righteousness inhering in us, basically inherent in us and and a kind of a, a beginning holiness? Is it that? Or the righteousness and obedience of Christ alone imputed to us? At that moment, in this heavenly tribunal, what will be our plea? Will we have any other answer than Christ and His righteousness imputed to us via faith in Him? Paul, in this section of Romans where we're at, and then he's going to continue actually on into chapter 4. He's going to build on what's come before. And there's an emphasis here on examining faith. And so today's passage teaches us, in a nutshell, boasting is excluded via the law of faith. Boasting is excluded 
And then we're going to look at chapter 4 as the weeks go on. Paul turns to the faith of Abraham, the father of all who believe, who walk in the, in the footsteps of faith like Abraham. So for the next few weeks, we too, we want to walk like Abraham. We want to walk in those footsteps of faith, and that's what Paul's going to help us do here. And We want to be fully convinced, as Abraham was, that God is able to do what he has promised to do. Our last two studies, before we kind of took a graduation break and we were, I was gone, we looked at verses 21 through 26, Paul's kind of declaration of but now. We looked at that, the, this righteousness of God that's come to us through, through where? Through the redemptive, the propitiation, the propitiated sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And through all of this, God remains just, and he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so verse 27, brings up, Paul brings up another question. Let's look back at verse 27 again. Here's the question three in this verse. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Here's the first three questions of six in this passage, and I had to look back because I remembered at one time I c- tried to count all the questions in Romans. I think there's 82. I might be give or take a few, but in, in this whole letter to the Romans, there's some 82 questions. These are six of them. It's, it's a book full of questions, but Paul uses these questions to teach us, to introduce, to make points, all of the teaching to say, no, boasting's been excluded. That's the point. No one can stand before God No one can rightly boast that that your works have earned a certain righteousness. In fact, even it's going to go further. We'll look at it again as we come to this next week. Paul, the boasting Abraham himself. Could Abraham boast? No, he was, was he justified by works? No, it was faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the question of Paul here is, verse 27 is what... What kind of law excludes boasting? It's okay. That's the I think the main point. What's of our boasting? It's excluded. Well, what kind of law then? The ESV Study Bible sees law here, and I I I think I see this as a type of principle. What what principle is this excluded boasting based on? What, What kind of principle does away with our boasting? And so the first question is really expecting a negative answer. Is it the law of works? Of course, the answer Paul says. No. Paul's already clearly stated, verse 20, that we already read. He says there, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, God's, sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So this is not only the Jew who had his own problem with boasting in the law. You can go back to chapter 2 and verse 23 and see that. But this is no human being. This is not Jew nor Gentile. None of the works are sufficient to be righteous before a holy God. Circumcision will not do. If you've been given the law, that will not do for righteousness. You've been baptized. Keeping the commandments. We're enslaved to sin. Maybe born into a Christian family. It will not do. No works will do because Paul has already made the point. All are under sin. Verse 12, chapter 3, no one does good, not even one. 
And so Paul here introduces a different law, this law of faith. The law of faith excludes our boasting. And we can ask, so it's Paul introducing some new law. Now there's, now there's something else to do. It's so those works didn't, but here's another work. Is that it? No, I, don't, I think there, in one sense there's a play on words here. I think Paul probably means, again, by law of faith, a, a principle. It's the principle of faith here. We'll talk about the law as we get to verse 31, but I think a principle here. He's setting up a contrast. What, what justifies? Is, is it works? Is that what justifies and pronounces one righteous? Or is it faith? And so they're, they're opposite. I've used this byline for our study through Romans. It's on the front of your bulletin. The, the obedience of faith. It's Paul's own words that, that he wants to preach the gospel for the obedience of faith. And I think there, there could be a hint of that here, not, not a, an obedience in a new type of law like do this obedience, but there's faith. Faith is not a new law in the sense of a new work to be done. It's actually quite the opposite. Faith is the opposite of works. We need help to understand that. I thought of it this way. This is maybe one way to think of it. I, th- I think of work in terms of maybe you're sitting in a chair. Work if we said work, tends to stand up and do something. There, there's a doing and there's a hoping for success. It, it's really what any other re- religion with the absence of Christ would teach. It, the means of appeasing a God or gods, how are they appeased? It is up to who? That individual. How are they made right? It's that person. The focus is on the person, the individual. How do I appease this God? How much do I have to do or sacrifice or give? And hopefully it'll make him happy and pleased with me. That's anything outside of Christ. Whereas faith, to use this illustration of, a, of sitting on a chair, if, if work is to get up and go do something, what's faith? Faith sits down and it rests in the success of Christ alone. That's where faith looks to, to Christ. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, near the end. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. And let's do that. Consider your calling, you. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, who? Not the person, because of God. Here are the great words. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Verse 31 of that, I think it's the last verse, 1 Corinthians 1. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul's even going to ask a few chapters later in that same book of uh, letter of 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. Why do you boast? What do you have you did not receive? The tree of our 
boasting is cut down as we realize that faith, again, the opposite of a work performed by us, is itself granted by God in that we look. I think it was prayed about our vision. God has given us this vision. We look and we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Well, Paul goes on to, in verse 28 then, to explain just further this basis of our justification. Look at verse 28 then. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, the ESV said, I think it's okay to translate for we hold that one. The ESV translates it there as we hold that one is justified by faith. Um, I prefer, like you, some of you use in King James or NESB, um, they would put in man here. We hold that a man is justified by faith. Now, that's, that's mankind, men and women. We hold that man is justified by faith. Uh, here's why Leon Morris points this out. He says, a man is any member, and I think why the word man helps, a man is any member of the human race. The term is quite general. Justification is brought about in the same way for all by faith. Paul's going to make that more clear in the next verse. We'll look at that in a minute. But get the main thrust here. Man is justified by faith. Listen to what Martin Luther has said. Again, I gleaned this from Schreiner's book here, but Luther has said this. He said, Wherefore it ought to be the first concern of every Christian to lay aside all confidence in works and grow in the knowledge, not of works, but of Christ Jesus, who suffered and rose for him. Luther's calling us, grow in the knowledge of this one, in, that, in this one of Christ, in that we are declared righteous on the basis of Christ alone. So in justification by faith, there, I think there's an idea of this double imputation. I know we're using big words, but this imputing, this passing on to, giving over to, there's a, there's a double sense here. It's fascinating to think about the cross once again. Think of this imputation. Our guilt and our sin is imputed on Christ. He bears it on the cross. That's how God can be just because He's punished our sins on the cross in Christ. But then the flip side is Christ's righteousness. His obedience is, is ours. So I think Luther's put it that way that, that um, our sin is His. His righteousness is ours. What a glorious and merciful exchange for us faith then simply as tom schreiner says it's the means by which one lays hold of christ who is our righteousness it's the means of that how do you lay hold of christ by faith looking to christ boasting is excluded because faith is apart from it's separate from uh, works of the law any work Unless we think no work is involved, we'd be mistaken. Work is involved, but guess whose work it is? It's God's work. A couple passages. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you. That's who's working? God is. Philippians 2.13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Or Jesus, to Jesus, the crowd asks, John 6, 28, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus replies, this is the work of God. We go, what's the work? Jesus says, 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. And who believes? Jesus says further, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. A brief word, though, as we're thinking about works, we're on this subject, thinking about our own works in Christ. We are created, Ephesians, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're not throwing out good works. We're created for that. The emphasis here in verse 28 is on justifying faith, that one is pronounced, declared righteous, this justifying in Christ by faith. But one who is a believer in Christ, we've already mentioned this, I think, probably a couple times, will bear the fruit of good works. Those will come. Imperfect, inconsistent as they be, works will come from the one who has faith in Christ. We want to think about our first concern, though. James will tell us this. I think Paul also, they're not opposed. They'll make clear our works are important. Bear fruit. John the Baptist, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But here with this text before us, we want to just pause and make sure your foundation is stable and clear. Luther's words, again, they're helpful that I already read. It ought to be the first concern of every Christian Listen to his words, to lay aside all confidence in works and grow in the knowledge, not of works, but of of who? Of Christ Jesus. Christian, your, your justification is not dependent on how much you read your Bible. And I just said that. That your your justification is not dependent on that. It's not dependent on you attending church or your list of memorized verses be they many or be they a few and you can go on your justification your being declared righteous is based on your faith in christ jesus but then and paul will be clear to say you know well okay so we could keep on saying all these let that good news free you to follow him. True faith in Christ is going to be evidenced by a hunger for the bread of life or a thirst for the only one who will satisfy, that is, Christ. And How do we learn about who Christ is? How do we see Christ? How does our knowledge of Christ grow? In the Word. That's where we learn of Him. Here, gathered together with other believers as believers challenge us and we're living one way and but we're gathered together and we're all worshiping and we're exalting God and we're drawn in and say, I, I should exalt God. I haven't this week. We find our sins and we're confronted with our sins. We grow in the body of Christ. Or we memorize Scripture and we grow to chew on God's Word that leads us to Christ. Again, those things are not our justification. We're free now and we're free to follow And see in these things the truths of the knowledge of Christ. Let our foundation, our confidence be in Christ apart from our works. Maybe we pray this way. Say, Lord, show me the awfulness of my sin. And then show me the glory of Christ who died for me. And then let us see Christ using the means God's given us, his word, memorizing the church, communion, all these sorts of means of his grace. 
Well, let's go on briefly. Let's look to verses 29 and 30 as a pair here. Uh, It says here, or is God the God of Jews only? More questions. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. There's a stunning, this is a glorious statement here, or question really, on the part of Paul, opening up verse 29. Is this God, is this God of grace... This God of redemption and propitiation, this one living and true God, is He only a God for the Jew? Is that the only, the, only they get God? Does somehow only they have access to God? The clear answer by Paul here is, is no. And this grouping of Jew and Gentile, it's not new in our study of Romans already. I don't know how many times we've seen them together. They've already been together, so it doesn't matter. It's, it's both, which implies two things here. Number one, here's one implication. One of two. One, both Jew and Gentile stand alike under the weight and condemnation of their sin before this God. Both. That's verse 9, Romans 3. Jews and Greeks are all under sin. But then number two, the glorious truth Both Jew and Gentile have access to a right relationship with this God through faith in Christ. God is one. That's verse 30. He will justify both the circumcised Jewish ethnicity and the uncircumcised Gentile ethnicity through faith in the blood of Jesus. So we might ask, by way of application here, what kind of people can come to God? What kind? The answer is all who put their faith in Christ. It doesn't matter. And I've got, you can think of more categories. The shade of skin does not matter. The heritage does not matter. The ethnicity does not matter. Speak a different language doesn't matter. This kind of mom, this kind of father doesn't matter. Financial, the wealthy can come. No. Wealthy or poor doesn't matter. Male or female, young, old, there's one God and there is one way for every tribe, nation, and tongue to be made right before God that is in Christ alone. One more question from Paul. The last one in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I think with so much emphasis here on faith being apart from the law, it's a question we might ask. Well, do we, does this overthrow, that Paul's asking here, does it overthrow the law? Are, are God's words of instruction, if we think of the law in the, even in the Old Testament, the Mosaic law or the Old Testament itself, is it just pointless? Is it kind of like, well, well, that whole law, just throw it out. It's like, it's like the garbage you don't need anymore. Just, just toss it. Is all the law, think of the psalmist, Psalm 119, who delights in the law. You take a big marker and Psalm... Oh, X that out. The law, I guess, doesn't mean. The answer, of course, is no. The law is good. 
There's nothing wrong with God's law. It's perfect. It is to be delighted in. It's not to be overthrown like some bad plague or disease that now in Christ we just don't have to bother with anymore. Paul himself, Romans 7, 12, we're going to see this. The law, he says, the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It's righteous. It's good. What's the problem? It's not the law. It's the transgressors of the law. The law sets up for us perfection, and it shows us our imperfection. The law is not sin, but it speaks to those who are under the law, any kind of law, that they are in sin. And so men and women stand condemned under the law, be it written in the stone or the law in the heart, as we've seen through chapter uh, 2. Paul makes it clear, those enslaved to sin cannot fulfill all these requirements, all these works of the law. Again, none is righteous. No one does good, not even one. What about the law? There is one who does good. There is one, if I could capitalize my message here, capital O, capital N, capital E. There is one. There's one who's righteous. There's one revealed of God who the law and the prophets bear witness to. He fulfills all the law in himself. That, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so is not faith in Christ in this sense, thinking of Christ as the fulfillment of the law, actually upholding the law? I think you could say the law is upheld by faith because faith looks to Jesus who perfectly obeys the law. He upholds it perfectly. And at the same time, he atones for the sins committed against that very law. So the law is not overthrown, I think, in the way a bad thing is put out of use. It's upheld, not by us who are the lawbreakers, but by Jesus Christ, and thus everyone who has faith in Christ. And then even further, God gives his spirit to us to transform us to grow these fruits of the Spirit. Paul says this, we'll see later on in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit who dwells within the believer sanctifies us, is sanctifying us to conform us to Him, to this image of Christ, Him from whom the law has come. Faith upholds the law because it looks to the the great law keeper, Christ. All right, as we wrap up here, just three brief, and these are pretty brief, closing thoughts on boasting. Three thoughts Maybe there's more. Number one, what about boasting? By way of application, thinking of this, of the the main part of our boasting excluded. Number one, boasting in ourselves gives us false confidence. Boasting in ourselves gives us false confidence. Be on guard of any confidence. Thinking of Luther's words there. Any confidence you possess to be made right with God apart from Christ. Your standing and your confidence is not in how good or bad your kids turned out, how your past week went, 
or even how much of this sermon you've listened to or you're coming back right now and you've been daydreaming the other 20, 30 minutes here. That's not the confidence of your righteousness. We can rest in and be confident in Christ alone. Number two, boasting in ourselves, it misunderstands God's grace. Boasting in us misunderstands what God has graciously done for us. Be on guard of assuming you have earned God's grace. That is not grace. That's a wage. What what has God given you? What mind is yours? What knowledge of Christ has he given to you? What hope of eternal life in Christ have you earned? It's all of God's grace. Beware of this. Boasting in ourselves misunderstands God's grace. And then I think related, just number three, Boasting really replaces God's glory with man. Boasting is a replacement of the glory of God and his salvation with something I've done. It replaces God's glory with man. Be on guard of the ever-present threat to look to self. There's a couple ways we might look inside. Maybe one, we, we begin to relish in our own righteousness. I'm doing pretty good. I actually read a few chapters this week. I'm, I'm getting on it. I memorize. I'm, things are starting to go. I think I got the hang of this. Beware of that. And also beware of the, of the flip and opposite side of the despair of your own sin. And the, and the resolve, well, I will just try harder. I will just kind of, I'm going to get to it. No, Christ has done it all. He's fulfilled everything of the law. Lord, I don't delight in the law like you call me to. Christ has. And if you be in Christ, you are in Him. He's done it all. And further today, He's at work in us by His Spirit, sanctifying us, transforming us to His image. May our lives surely proclaim that all the glory, all all praise, all honor, Lord, it's to you alone. To Christ alone. Faith rests and looks to Christ, trusting in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for those in this room. Maybe there's just a lot of different categories of people. Those that have wandered from the faith, have known, have known you, walked closely with you at, at one point and have drifted. And this is about the only time in the week that they ever think about you. And Lord, I just pray that your gracious, convicting spirit would bring them back to the glories of Christ Jesus again. May you work in them. Maybe some, their heart just today is opened to faith in you. Father, may they boldly repent of sin, looking to Christ, our Savior, who who took on the penalty for that sin on the cross and thus live for you by your Spirit. Lord, encourage us, as Martin Luther has encouraged us, that our confidence would not be in us. For those here that are confident in a life of confident in a life of works, Lord, forgive us when we want to steal the glory. Lord, you deserve all the glory. Any faithfulness we've shown is a gift from you. Anything we have, what have we received, Lord, that you have not 
given us. Everything is a gift from you. May we see it that way and may we give you glory in our lives. And so, Lord, work in us. The prayer I talked about, Lord, may it be our prayer today. Lord, show us again afresh the awfulness of our sin and rebellion against you. And at the same time, show us afresh the glories of what Christ Jesus has done for us, that we may sit in the chair, as it were, and rest in the success of you, Jesus, and not us. And may we glory in this and then thirst and hunger after you in your word and with your people. Lord, we pray for your grace in this, your grace at work in each of our lives by your Holy Spirit convicting us and moving us on, transforming us. And we look forward, Lord, one day to your glorious return. We will be glorified, new bodies forever, to live and worship you forever in eternal joy. I pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.